This is the Roaring Elephant Podcast. And as usual, I'm joined by my black belt of podcasting, Dave. <laughs> uh, we'll get to this later. But yes, uh, so question to the audience. Were you a way of the exploding fist or were you a international karate plus anyway? And if so, which, which system did you play it on? No, it's so, usually we'll run late. Up. We won't come to this back anymore. So yeah, that's true. Like, and if we don't come back to this later, then sorry, I guess. Ask, respond in the YouTube comments. There we go. So, uh, yes, we'll get to that later, possibly. But we have a fun-packed news episode, as always. Uh, but depends on your reason of fun, I'd say. <laughs> well, I would you say that fun is upgrading from one major release of a piece of open source software to several major releases further down the line? How, how would you class that as fun? Yeah, I was, I was going to say, from one major to the next major, okay, that's inevitable from some time to time. But if you kind of skip a couple in between, that makes life interesting. I wouldn't call it yeah. fun, though. No. So this is... Uh, this, is, this conversation is inspired by uh, the fun and happiness that uh, Facebook seem to be going through at the moment with uh, their upgrade from MySQL 5.6 all the way through to MySQL 8.0. They pretty much skipped everything in between. And, yep. you know, for... for you know, good reasons they were building stuff around it, on top of it, inside it, all that sort of thing. Good reasons, but, really. Well, in their mind, it was good reasons. They were. Um, they had the re they had a reason. Let's call it that, and not they. They had reasons. Good or bad. Yeah. So the we've talked about this before in in terms of um, some of the very large scale uh, organizations do tend to go through this process of. Um, adopting software and then massively sort of customizing it over time and then you know get to the point where an, another upgrade needs to happen and then it's a just a giant engineering effort rather than contributing stuff back and keep staying kind of in sync with the, the way the project is progressing now Usually this is because they're doing something that maybe the upstream project is less interested in for whatever reason. And so they, they end up carrying this technical debt or burden themselves. And sometimes it's because they see this, um, this sort of technology they developed on top as a value add that they want to keep in some way, shape or form to themselves. Yeah. But uh, the the uh, piece of uh, the website that Yon uh, did have up on the screen uh, a minute or so ago highlights, in my mind at least, the the real uphill struggle they were facing, which is that first bullet there. Uh, so at the time, they had their customized MySQL 5.6 branch had over 1,700 code patches against it that they needed to port uh, to MySQL version 8 in some way, shape or form. And I mean, that's a hell of a lot of technical debt. 
Um, well, technical debt of opportunity, the way you want to look at it. And I mean, the thing you haven't mentioned yet is that this has now been a year long effort of them to get that upgrade happening and they're still doing it apparently. So, yep. yeah, I mean, you mentioned before they had reasons to do this and then you followed on with contributing and yeah, making sure the community can keep porting, or at least don't deviate from the main branch, basically. That's the idea behind it. And I mean, in an ideal world, it should always be possible to keep in the uh, in the ideal branch, because even if you commit something that isn't perhaps where the main project wants to go to, as long as you make sure the project trusts you to maintain that piece of code, and it's not a throw it in and now it's your problem, they will adopt it because more features, as long as it's built correctly and modular and whatever, doesn't hurt a project, even if it's kind of niche. The thing that hurts a project is bloatware that doesn't get maintained. Mm. A Facebook situation, I mean, they got enough people, they commit a pretty a much to into open source. They've, had, they've got their open source projects out there, so I, I would definitely hold it against them as being bad to open source. But why have they kept all this in-house? Why haven't they put this out? Because, yeah, I mean, any kind of engineering effort that was going to be spent on maintaining this stuff in the main branch, they definitely are spending a lot more resources now trying to play catch-up. And mm. the main problem with staying behind on versions, security. I mean, yeah, yeah these they, older versions they, were not maintained anymore. Yeah, they must have continued to apply their own security patches some stuff probably backported from upstream uh but the the sort of one of the things that's quite interesting if you flip back to the article they they if you go to the code patches section they describe basically how they decided what they were going to do with the code patches so they they sorted the the pat the 1700 patches into one of four buckets so one is kind of they just decided to drop it um, features that were no longer used had equivalent functionality in version 8 or just did not need to be ported for whatever reason and um, you know build slash client so non-server features that were specifically you know with uh, related to their environment uh, non myrox features so features that were not related to their uh, myrox storage engine which is what this is all built around and features that are specifically around the the myrox uh, server that they uh, that they were developing that their product that they were or their technology that they were developing on top of mysql and what i would have been really interested to see is some sort of assessment of maybe i know lines of code is not a great way of measuring anything but maybe like the you know number of patches or number of lines of code that basically dropped into each of those buckets because that uh, to me at least would indicate just how uh how much duplicate work they've been doing so if there were a bunch of features that you know by the time version 8 rolled out they had it in well you know what if you'd contributed that code upstream earlier on like then that code could have been upstream that, that that functionality could have been there you needn't have maintained that for the last i don't remember when mysql 5.6 came out but i'm willing to bet it was some time ago 
so yeah, it, it's it's a it's a like really awkward position they now find themselves digging themselves out of, and partially at least you would think that it would be uh, not you know not necessary to get them into this amount of technical debt to to this point. I mean, maybe some of it is inevitable um, to a certain degree. But it seems like they went whole hog into this. Whole hog in the upgrade or whole hog in the let's do it ourselves by adding that many patches? Uh, the second. <laughs> yeah, but it's a slippery slope, right? I mean, on the one hand, it's easy to say just commit and update and stuff like that. But for something that's very core to whatever you're doing, and I'm assuming this database is kind of core to the Facebook uh, operations, um, just downloading the next version, upgrading by running the scripts. I mean, for our little enterprise we have here at the podcast, we have a couple of things like the WordPress site, we have some databases, we have a Jitsi Meet server. I mean, from time to time, I admit, I, I put my fingers in my ears, close my eyes and press the update button and hope it all goes well and then spend the next night doing <laughs> all of the necessary yeah, fixing things. But... Yep. If it's so core to your thing, you can't afford to, go, to make it go down. You can't also really have a full dev test environment that's identical to the production environment if you're the scale of, of a Facebook or a bigger company. It's easy to say, well, let's just skip a couple of miners so we can do due diligence and we'll run behind a little bit. Because especially in open source, the velocity at which new versions are being released is sometimes staggering. And uh, even from my own work environment, it's hard for people to keep up, especially if you're not a Facebook. And if even Facebook faces this problem, <laughs> I mean, yeah. they're one of the big 2.0 companies, right? I mean, the, the, the big, they're, they're big tech. They're supposed to be the, the, yeah. the, the CICD light, guiding lights uh, for this. Well, apparently, if they can't do it, how the hell do normal people, mere mortals like us, what hope do we have? I think the difference is that most mere mortals are less interested in building stuff, um, customizing stuff so heavily in the way that Facebook have done. Most mere mortal organizations are more interested in consuming open source practically as it is in some way, shape or form, maybe a few minor tweaks here or there that they can manage and maintain and not disappear all the way down the slippery slope um, but uh, there's a, a comment further down in the article which says that it because it took a couple of years to put to uh, put all these features across uh, by the end they'd evaluated more than 2300 patches and ported 1500 of those 1500 of those to version 8.0 so there's a just a huge amount of effort uh, that went into this and and to to Jan's comment like this this upgrade has taken they don't say exactly but they say a few years so far and it's still ongoing like they are still rolling through this upgrade it sounds like the the code work instead of uh, in terms of getting their sort of 8.0 build ready it sounds like that work is done or as close to done as it, it is possible for those things to be. And it's literally just the actual 
upgrade work that they're rolling through now still. But man, that's a lot of time. I wonder uh, what the uh, what the sort of uh, version will be of MySQL by the time they complete their <laughs> migration. Yeah, good point. Because if you just what you read there, they had uh, twenty three hundred and ported fifteen hundred to eight zero. So they ported fifteen hundred patches to the new uh, branch. So they yep. didn't dig themselves out of the pit with this. They're continuing to it. Apparently, they think it was a good decision to get into the situation because once the eight point zero release for them is in production, it will again have fifteen hundred patches they need to maintain, which sounds. Incredible. I mean, I can imagine you have a couple of edge things. I mean, that my rocks engine is not a default engine, so they need to have some glue code there. But going from 1800 from the start and now they have 1500 left, that's almost the same amount. So yeah. apparently they have decided this is the correct way to do this. They like doing this. By the way, I'm also very interested in why they're going to an 8.0 release. I mean, I would never go in production up to a zero release, but maybe they mean 8.0 subversion already and again by the time yeah. they actually go pr in production it's probably going to be 818283 whatever but yeah it's, it's amazing that this is how this works but i can see the slippery slope i mean even yeah. with the small you say the mere mortals won't do this do you really think that our wordpress site doesn't have any dirty hacks i apply to it i mean i i would <laughs> say th but there's a different level of uh, There's also a different level of resources of, available here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, true. But I think the 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 sort of um, the comment that comes to mind when I think about this is is like painting of the Golden Gate Bridge. Like it's it just happens continuously. Yeah. Like by the time they they get, you know, they, it's not really it's not quite literally they start at one end and finish at the other and then go back to the start again. It is more kind of maintenance oriented and stuff like that. As, contrary what to what people believe but it is basically being painted continuously the whole time and that to me feels like what this experience of trying to trying to to keep this up and running must be like it must be you know great they they migrate every these 1500 patches to the 8.0 release and and then what happens well then we need to like, continue driving our technical debt all the way through 8.1, 8.2. Maybe they, they skip everything from 8 onwards and they wait until version 10. I, no, I don't know. version 11. They'll skip three majors again. <laughs> I mean, they have to kind of justify uh, all this effort they're doing now. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It sounds like a terrible idea to me. I can't. I can't. Uh, I can't imagine that anyone involved in this project is thinking, "Yay, this is this is awesome. This is time really well spent." Oh, I think there are. I'm. I am pretty sure that on many of these patches were written by people who were very proud that they were able to bypass, fix, break something in a unique way, and that's their little baby, and they'll keep on doing that. I mean, that's where the danger lies. Again, the little hack on the WordPress site. We don't need that hack. It, I was just so happy that I found a way to do it. <laughs> it's now up and running. <laughs> and I'm sure when we do an upgrade, because it's a small thing, if it disappears, it's not that big a thing. It's a, it's a crawl tap uh, kind of thing. It doesn't matter. It's probably going to be a plugin for that anyway. But still, I'm happy I did that. I'm proud I did that. It's something I did. And yeah, I mean, the management layers may, may not be happy about it, but uh, the people that actually do it, 
that's their job, their programming stuff, and they're making the world a better place one patch at a time. And that's a good thing. Mm. But do you think they feel the same about the exercise they're going through now, or they were going through, like porting all of this stuff from crusty old MySQL 5.6 all the way through to to MySQL 8? That can't have been as, as rewarding, surely. If it's the same guy that's upgrading his own code, there's a good chance he's okay with that. But if you're the new employee that gets put to a desk and here are the 15 yeah. patches that people that have written this have left the company 10 years ago, please update this. Yeah, he doesn't have a good day. <laughs> he, she, sorry. Yeah, they. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, maybe so, what we need now, is to upgrade. I just want to pose a question first before you move on yeah. to the next one. I mean, from a vendor point of view, you kind of expect your users to upgrade their their software all the time and just keep up with the latest greatest continuously is that something that's realistical i mean who's at fault here the fact that we're that the vendors are publishing for versions at such a rapid pace or the fact that the users aren't updating at the same rapid page i so if you think about why people upgrade why why new versions are created i would say you know just throwing a number out there and, and like globbing all uh, all vendors together so of course this is a completely mm -hmm. meaningless number but let's just guess that let's just guess that 50 percent of the stuff that comes out in a new version is innovation driven by that vendor that new things that uh, that they want to to help drive and accelerate the market and like, break into new areas or whatever it might be and 50 percent of it is stuff that's you know customer feedback driven you know stuff that customers mm -hmm. requesting features or fixes or changes to the way things work or improvements to you know that that life cycle okay. of uh, of using the stuff and then it's and all the 50% of sure, bug fixes security fixes i was going to say like bug fixes and security fixes i would kind of distribute between those two things but they so it's not just on the vendor's side that this continual kind of upgrade process is happening like the customers uh, are driving the uh, and you know communities if you talk about open mm -hmm. source software and the, the pace that that's working the communities are driving the pace of it because they're contributing stuff that they need because they're world, yeah. yeah so uh, there's a delta though between the organizations that are contributing these code these features these elements uh of things that Im improve their you know their ability to consume this software whatever this software might be and the folks within organizations that are responsible for the feeding and watering the patching the maintaining the upgrading and that side of things and i think that's where that's where the the kind of the schism starts to happen is if you don't have aligned um expectations or um aligned responsibilities for between the value that you get from upgrading versus the effort that it takes to do those upgrades like if those things are 
drastically out of whack, then you'll get this situation where people don't want to upgrade because they don't get anything from upgrading apart from a whole bunch of pain and busy work. Whereas if those things are closer aligned, then, oh great, we get this new feature, which means I, I can, you know, my instances are consuming 10% less memory and 20% less CPU. So I can drive down my, the cost of the service that I'm delivering that, that time to an effort to upgrade is absolutely worth it. So I think it, people are more willing to upgrade faster when they can see the value from it. I also think that the larger the organization is, the more inertia there is and the more difficulty the, uh, there is to continue that pace of upgrade. Okay. Um, dang, I had two responses to that. I mean, the inertia, I guess, but they also have more resources to overcome that inertia. But I'd say, true, the, the effort of doing the upgrade should be in line with the benefits you get from it. But even an upgrade that doesn't give you anything is still a benefit because you don't accumulate technical debt. By just yeah. staying current, if the next version comes around that does have something interesting for you, you have an easier time upgrading. For, yeah. me, so for me, upgrading should always be a net positive. However, the effort for upgrading is, I think, kind of uh, uh, linearly related to the age of the project. Because new projects that just got out of the, uh, out of the, the thinking cap of somebody haven't matured yet. Upgrading is mostly a manual thing. You have to do database schema updates manually, things like that, versus uh more mature older projects where you have a nice i mean I've, i run a, a next cloud uh, uh environment myself and basically upgrading that thing is just going to the web page click the update button it downloads it it does the checks does the backups it goes wrong from time to time usually because something i did wrong but it works very well wordpress same thing it actually updates without me doing anything at all i just get an email in the morning we updated your site oh great thanks uh, yeah. But that's because those projects have got the maturity and I guess the most of these patchings happen when you have something new and exciting that isn't finished yet and you have to finish it to make it work and that's where you start getting into trouble. But then again, if you don't have the resources to keep abreast of that and commit back and do stuff like that, should you start using that kind of unfinished product? <sighs> yes, but that's how I get my differentiation. Uh, or innovation or yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's a tough one it is it is and this is one of the it's one of the questions that's i wouldn't quite say as old as time but it's been around for a very long time like the pace of innovation in open source has outpaced proprietary technology in almost every space for better or for worse mm -hmm. like the you can say there's a burden to staying up to date, but there's also an incentive towards the the you know the continually new features, optimizations, you know, tech that gets rolled out. So, yeah, I it, this is not something that I think um, anyone has like a, a a bulletproof answer towards. I think that you could you could potentially say that. Um, you know, containerization to a certain extent has has helped improve some of this for a certain group of users. And what I would say by that is, if you're consuming the um, the services 
as you know, just Docker images that you're not heavily customizing and doing things like that to big if. Then, yeah, if as I said, it's a subset of people. But like, I have a whole bunch of things that I run internally here that I upgrade without a moment's thought. You know, it just it just works from cycle to cycle, and it's it's frankly amazing compared to the experience of. Um, you know, having uh, a server with a whole bunch of random software with random different dependencies and all kinds of other crazy stuff um, that you have to uh, manually wrangle with each kind of iteration and each kind of major shift. So I, I don't think, but that's not the that's not the same for everybody. And the mm. the more complex sort of infrastructure you get into the less and less that is the case that just the point click upgrade away you go is is going to be sufficient so it is not a it's not an easy problem to i wouldn't even say solve but it's not an easy problem to even get to grips with and i don't think there is a, an easy way to solve it i just don't think it's possible oh yes it is this reminds me of the interview we did with chris short a while ago now Please go back mm. in old episodes for uh, those two parts, I think, where we talked about CI/CD pipelines because basically that's how you solve this stuff: having CI/CD pipelines. Because CI good CI/CD pipelines, continuous integration, continuous development pipelines don't just uh, download and deploy. No, they download, test, QA, regression test, synthetic test, blah 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 test, and then deploy. And Building something like that is hugely complex. It's an undertaking in itself. It's very hard to make a business case, an ROI calculation on if that's a good thing or a bad thing, because why am I doing this so I don't get technical debt? What is technical debt worth? A lot, but hard to, to, quanti to quantize. Exactly. And that is the solution. Containerization can definitely be part of a CICD pipeline. Definitely if you do dev testing with containers, it's easier to just go to next version, next version, and shuffle things around it's a tool in the in that in that cscd kind of approach i'd say it's not something that'll solve your problems all in its own and again coming back to the original uh, sen sentiment for me here is i was totally surprised that facebook of all companies is struggling this hard with this i mean they're not struggling because they're not going down or anything it's still that their production is up and running but still it's i would surprising i would love to know just how many thousands of person hours went into this like it's it's got to be an absolutely astronomical number you want to read their minds do you it's i'm just i'm just curious as to just how much time and effort went into this i, I mean, was making well, a segue to the next article <laughs> Well, I I tried to make a segue earlier, but you weren't having any of it. And my segue was 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 far better, and was okay. going to be well, maybe maybe the the process uh, would be much faster if we were all augmented humans. There you go. See, that's a much better segue. Um, so this is uh, an article uh, on uh, AIP.org. And they are talking specifically about the use of uh, cyber, well, the brain computer interfaces and uh, the impact that that could have. And this is, this is, this seems to be something where Jan and I 
drastically differ. So surprisingly, this will be an interesting, interesting conversation. But the you know you you found this article, Jan. This is this is definitely your baby. So uh, yeah. what's what's your view on all of this? I just I mean the reason I picked it up is uh, I found it on the register first, but it linked back to an actual scientific uh, paper from a couple of scientists. There's a link. I'll put a link in the in show notes that actually just was a article looking at how it's possible, what the materials are, how techniques, uh, things like that. So basically, how do you do this? And this got picked up and the register and also this article kind of put a negative spin on it, or just going back to the title here, bleak cyborg future from brain computer interfaces if we're not careful. I mean, everything has a bleak future if you're not careful on how you do it. I mean, people have boycotted the internet because the libraries are going to close. Horrible. People can have access to the, to the library for free, but the internet costs money. It's going to be a gap in the rich and the poor and the knowledgeable and less knowledgeable. I mean, it's inevitable. It's going to happen. And for me, the sooner it happens, the better, because I'm getting older and I can I can use all the documentation I can get. <laughs> yeah, See, and this is where this is where I think I I differ because I'm also getting older. But my my view on this is I'm honestly I hope that by the time this is a thing, I'm I'm out of the industry <laughs> and retired because the. The problem I have with almost all of this is you look at how technology um, gets rolled out. You look at how um, how we adopt it, how new products get rolled out, uh, the, the limitations that the early variants have, mm -hmm. the multiple iterations that these products and solutions have to go through before they're even like vaguely usable like ignore the marketing mm -hmm. sort of bs you you know you you get these you get these things you, you know whether it's something that you you buy off the internet you've read all the reviews you understand all the limitations and it's still slightly underwhelming when you get it and it's consigned to a junk drawer within six to nine months or it flat out doesn't do what it said on the tin and you know it has yeah, that a marketing's huge fault, of... not the product's fault but if the product ends up being bad define like, bad not usable okay <laughs> uh and you know i've I've, I've made a, a, a bunch of great decisions i've made a bunch of very poor decisions when it comes to a variety of pieces of tech over my uh, over my career and over my life but even if you take something relatively simple like a um like a, a smartwatch for example you know whether apple watch or fitbit as as was or you know any any form of yeah there we go garmin devices or whatever other devices are around like they still are pretty rubbish relatively clunky yeah. they're still not um in my mind at least not living up to the the promises that i would expect from these kind of devices and i just think it takes us it takes us so long that, to get that's hardware my argument. right 
if you don't have it today, we won't have it tomorrow. And I want I want to finish product as soon as possible. So please start doing this right now. <laughs> yeah, but that that's the problem is that I don't actually, I don't honestly believe that this is going to get sorted. I mean, maybe within our lifetime, because hopefully our lifetimes will be long and fruitful, assuming that Jan and I don't kill ourselves live on the podcast. Um, but or each other, if digital kind of uh, uh, digital um, violence was possible. But it's it's just I think there's the gap between the research and the early stage testing and the the, the phase where we are now versus having a really sleek, nice long-lasting great functionality experience that i would want to be part of i think is a is a very long i think there's a very long time between those two things so i i don't want to be a beta tester and a guinea pig for this stuff because i think it's going to be pretty awful for a lot of a lot of half in a lot of ways I mean, well, I mean, we all know that there's a certain level of, of masochism to you, Jan. That's, that's, that's no surprise. It also depends on what you're looking at here, because are you looking at having a computer in your head? Yeah, that's miles away. It's not even close. But just a simple thing like having headphones inside your head instead of having these things that are in my ears, which hurt me at the moment. We already have cochlear implants. I think that's how you pronounce it. For people that yep. are deaf that can hear for the first time, it's totally embedded. They work fairly well i mean it's not that big a stretch to go from something like that which is a medical necessity to a more frivolous luxury luxury item as having embedded bluetooth earphones which you can't lose <laughs> never upgrade <laughs> but but how there's a difference between at least again in my in my experience and from my knowledge there there's a significant difference between uh the simplicity relatively speaking of a cochlear implant versus what you're talking about in terms of you know something consumer grade almost where you know how many times have have use you had devices which were end of life by the vendor because they'd released a new version of something and it's just like well you know sorry that one's gone now and that's e-waste. Like yeah. it functions the way it functions, but like you're done in terms of updates or features. Do you want unpatched hardware in your head so that someone can just randomly, you know, exploit a, a feature and connect to it and play death metal at maximum volume? When was the last like, time you upgraded your head? I mean, we never patch our heads, and there's a lot of rubbish in there. Trust me. Um, <laughs> Uh, this this kind of reaches in the, the right to repair movement, I'd say, because if you look at pacemakers and the cochlear implants, the only way you can actually sell that stuff, I think, is if you have a long-term maintenance plan that these things will not go e-waste as quickly as consumer hardware. I think your reasoning is correct. That is a thing to be worried about, but the solution is the, is the opposite. We shouldn't be afraid of that. We should be forcing e-waste to go away by making vendors have longer maintenance uh, sorry warranty periods longer end of life shouldn't be two years i mean my tv isn't broken in four years and why would i have to buy a new one because apple sorry because the android uh, stuff that's inside it isn't being maintained anymore 
that's what we need to stop. And if you stop that, then yeah. most of your argument kind of goes away. And I think that would be a good thing. True. But again, yeah, true. you're right. <laughs> uh, the, so here's a, I know we're running a little bit long, but just out, just because I, I read this um, earlier on in the week, that there was a, a case in the UK to... Um, Elderly, an elderly couple had a uh, Bosch in this case uh, lawnmower. They'd had Bosch products, you know, on and off through through the years. Been very happy with them. See them as being quite robust and whatever. They uh, started uh, the their lawnmower was just over two years old, two years and a month old. And it started making funny noises and sparks coming out of it. So they, uh, it was out of warranty, only had a two-year warranty, mm -hmm. and it failed at two years and one month. So that's a little bit sketchy, but that's here we go. Totally uh, normal. Yeah, but they had not, uh, you know, not abused it. Mm -hmm. Had had a very light uh, life, and the cost to repair this particular lawnmower was i think actually 20 pounds more than the cost of the lawnmower and so this particular couple kind of appealed and kicked up a fuss and bought uh, a sort of consumer watchdog in and all that sort of thing and the the interesting thing is that there's a for a lot of different categories of um, devices there are actually expected lifetimes of uh, of, of hardware, mm -hmm. and you know most hardware should last about five years. There are certain things that are in a category where they should last longer, and apparently lawnmowers are one of those things that apparently should last seven years, and yet um, none of us are particularly surprised at things going pop. You know one one month or six months outside their warranty and it's very interesting how often that happens it's almost as if they're designed yeah. to just planned uh, last the duration of that exactly but planned obsolescence in in some locations is actually illegal uh, which is them. yeah exactly it's but it's it, i find this kind of fascinating anyway just to round off this story just because i'm sure everyone's on their uh on the edge of their seat to understand what happened like bosch actually did uh, eventually uh give them a uh, uh did agree to repair their mower for a far more reasonable price i think it was about 40 pounds or thereabouts um, and once that had all been agreed actually as a good faith gesture and probably because it had hit the news <laughs> at that point they sent them a brand new lawnmower upgraded model on all that sort of thing so it all ended all's well that ends well but the this whole concept of, of planned obsolescence and um you know devices that just get abandoned by uh by their by their vendors is is a it's bad enough when it's just e-waste on your desk in your desk drawer you know whatever but the the concepts of things like that floating around in your body is just that's horrifying for me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but why is planned obsolescence a thing? I mean, Apple is a, one of the worst offenders in this part. So, yeah. I mean, the, the repairing a Mac is always more expensive than just buying a new one. They make sure of that. But why is planned obsolescence a thing? I mean, there's a there's also a, a good thing 
because of it. I mean, the only reason you can buy a TV for like, I don't know, 400 euros these days is because the vendor knows you'll buy another one in three years' time. Yeah. Before, when TVs lasted 10 years, a TV costed more than 10 times what it costs today. The only way these companies keep in business, I mean, the worst thing you can do, and this is totally uh, not sarcastic or ironical, it is, but that's the worst thing you can do as a producer of, of, of goods is to make something that doesn't break. Because once you've sold one, you're never selling another one again. That's where the whole plan of lessons comes from. And that's, we're all happy yeah. that stuff is cheap. The negative part of it is the whole e-waste thing. And we're going to have to do something against that. I mean, personally, I enjoy getting having a new phone every two or three years just to have a new gadget to play with. Is it a mm. good thing? Well, I'm, it makes me happy. So I guess it's not a totally bad thing, but it's definitely not a good thing. But that's a whole yeah. discussion in its own. Yeah, yeah. And sort of, uh, I don't really know where this, like there's got to be some sort of intersection between the, the price that you pay, the amount of engineering effort that goes into the design, the amount of um, production effort uh, that goes into you know, the materials and the construction and all those sorts of things. And like the, the, there is a reason that in some industries and segments that premium products exist because they're supposed to be longer lasting and, um, more, more durable and things like that. And what I certainly have seen over the last five to 10 years is that position eroding drastically and where you have premium brand manufacturers that have that are, are churning out uh, products that are little better than the majority of their cheap competitors and are just relying on their brand and and like this this, this, this has been, in my experience, and I'm not talking specifically about tech here. I think yeah, you can apply it into a, a variety of different industries. It's something that I, I've seen a lot happening and I don't really, I, I haven't seen any indication that that curve is either flattening or, or is improving. Like it seems to be continually trending downwards. I think what happened there is that the, the middle has sacked. I mean, there's still the very expensive, very high-end stuff, and they're better because they're using diamonds instead of plastic, something like that. But in the past, you kind of had a more gentle curve of the, the bottom basement. It's cheap plastic, used to come from China, made in China, had a reputation behind it, but it was well-deserved at the time. These days, it's a different matter, but that was cheap, cheap. You know it's going to break, simple. And then you had a sloping curve of things. The more you cut incre incre incrementally more expensive, quality kind of improved until you had that real high end of millionaire mm. situation kind of things. And that middle part is totally dumped down. So that I think the top still exists. Not that I have anything like that. But I do <laughs> think that still exists. But as you, you're right, the things are in the middle. I mean, there was a time where a Nike or an Adidas or insert brand name here was a better shoe, better thought out, better whatever than the brandless thing you could buy for a tenth of the price. 
these days, for me, it's more branding than anything else and having the, the, the bragging rights of I'm wearing brand XYZ and you're not. And it's a lot less about quality. I mean, there's still that bargain basement stuff that's less than that. I mean, you have the dollar store kind of things. But that middle section for me, that has totally disappeared. And I think that's what you're describing. I think in some ways, yes. I do actually think, though, that in a lot of cases, the, the top tier brands have also eroded their the quality. And maybe, maybe not the top, top, top tier, um, but I, I, I do think the, the, the slope that you're describing, I think is now more acute yeah, in that the, the, the sort of high tier brands that used to exist are no longer producing as higher quality. Right. They but I think there is also... they, can, they can sell the brand, so why would they spend money on good products? Yeah, I, but I also think there is something else happening, which is the your, your comment on like made in China, made in Taiwan um, kind of stuff. I think the quality there has actually, maybe not uniformly, but I think the quality there has stepped up oh, considerably. Yeah. Um, I mean, they used to have a reputation, in... but today. Yeah, like in often cases, it depends what you're looking to do with something. Like if you're looking to sort of use something um, sort of once or twice, fairly light use, uh, you know, why would you spend, you know, 10, 20, 30 times the price? If you can get something that will do the job the number of times that you need it and probably still be effective on from that, you know, maybe it wouldn't withstand you know, daily torturous use if you were a, a contractor doing that yeah, thing with that tool. Thing, right, yeah. But that's exactly. So it's, yeah, there's a variety of things happening here and we've disappeared all the way off the, uh, uh, off, off the, uh, the beaten to, track here. One, one last thing I want to add here is you were kind of surprised that the lawnmower broke one month after the end of the warranty period. That's normal. Why does somebody warrant guarantee the product will work for X amount of time? because they test it and they know that reliably anything more than that is going to break. It makes no sense but, to make something that works longer than that. <laughs> yeah. But again, that's that's not the uh, that's not supposed to be the idea behind it. Although as Depending you say, on what side of the line you're on. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Right. Well, I'm afraid uh, with all these random deviations, I think that's everything we have for today. Unless there's anything else from you, Jan. Nope, as predicted, the whole uh, black belt uh, thing is not going to get resolved ever. Nope, afraid not. Go to the YouTube comments if you want to uh, us to talk about RK Plus and Way of the Exploding Fist. Anyway. So that is all the time we have for today. You can support this podcast by becoming a patron. Every contribution helps. We're on YouTube. You can like, you can subscribe, you can hit the notification bell. You can talk about IK Plus and Way of the Exploding Fist, all the YouTube things. Please go to www.wrongelephant.org for a link to our Patreon page. And for more information about this podcast, you can also follow us on Twitter using the at Roaring Elephant tag. And you can send your feedback to podcast at roaringelephant.org. Until next time, my name is definitely Black Belt Dave. And my name is, where do I sign up to become a Cyberman? Yon. <laughs> uh, we look forward to talking to you next week. I got a Dr. Who reference in there. Yeah.